This episode is supported by Universal Pictures Oppenheimer, written and directed by Christopher Nolan. Winner of five Golden Globe Awards, including Best Picture, Oppenheimer is now nominated for 13 Academy Awards, including Best Director, Christopher Nolan, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Picture of the Year. The Washington Post calls it a masterpiece, and the Chicago Sun-Times says it's one of the best films of the century. Oppenheimer, now back in theaters nationwide. Welcome to the Ankler Podcast. This is Sean McNulty from the Wake Up Newsletter here at the Ankler here in New York City on Thursday, February 15th. I'm joined by Elaine Lowe and Richard Rushfield in Los Angeles. Richard, I missed your Super Bowl ad. What happened? I was waiting for your big moment, waiting for that ready to recap it for everybody and, and no no Super Bowl ad. You know, I submitted it. I was, I was going to say <laughs> oh. uh, my point was trying to bring the Super Bowl watchers down to a more human level, you know, let them know how life is not all just like a bunch of halftime shows and zany ads and celebrations. And we should think about all the horror of modern life. But oh. apparently it was rejected for CBS. Uh, not a fan. For, huh? Yeah, it's, it should it should have been up there, but uh, I'll have it up on the on my TikTok soon. <laughs> you could have been one of the Dunk Kings, Richard. I could see you behind no, Affleck. That would have been I great. I kept waiting you know? for him to show up next to Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Be, and I mean, it's games. right there. It's right there, Elaine. <laughs> yeah. I went to Burbank Airport and was just looking for a ride to the game, and nobody had room on their plane. All the jets were full. Oh, yeah. Of the, uh, what was it? So 1,000 planes later or something were landing in Las Vegas last week or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, some things to get into this week. Paramount and CBS dominating a lot of the headlines in a just roller coaster of a week. We're going to dive into that. Richard's column, which is on the Super Bowl. Elaine, did you screw with my notes again on this? Richard wrote about the Super Bowl. Oh, this is, I'm a little now I'm concerned. <laughs> well, I sure didn't write about the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to dive into Richard's thoughts on that and the entertainment economy at large. Elaine had a great chat with the uh, head of FX, John Langraff. We're going to get into uh, his insights into the television business. But before we dive into this week's topics, the Anklers, a new partnership with LA's number one NPR station, 98.3 LAist, formerly known as KPCC, is up and running. I'm on there probably in a few hours today on, the, on Thursday, but I have a, a piece on uh, All Things Considered talking about the box office. LAS is, of course, Southern California Public Radio's flagship radio station and digital news sites. And the Ankler team will be uh, on air for entertainment segments throughout the day on Entertainment Thursdays during Morning Edition, Air Talk, and All Things Considered. In addition to the Ankler team, We'll be covering breaking entertainment news as it happens, and the LAist will feature the uh, Angler's entertainment content on its homepage, in its morning newsletter, and across their social channels. And as a reminder, you can reach us, Richard, myself, and Elaine at the podcast here anytime at podcasts, plural podcasts, at theangler.com. All right, this week, well... You know, some weeks, Elaine, it's Netflix dominating the coverage. Someone else is taking the wheel this week. Paramount, should I recount the week that was? And it's only Thursday afternoon, Elaine. Oh, goodness. How many hundreds of employees, about 3% of Paramount, what, nearly 25,000 staffers, right, have been laid off? Yeah, well, let's start at a high note. We started up here, Elaine. So we had a record-setting Super Bowl on Sunday. Sure, let's start with the good news first. Let's, yeah, come on. Let's, you know, listen. It's a whole new th- theme here in, in 2024. You know, 123.7 million people watched the big game. They got essentially extra quarter overtime. It's very rare, Lynn, that you get a, an overtime in the Super Bowl. So more ads for the CBS folks. So that's that's positive news. Monday night, we had John Stewart returned. Did you guys watch? No? Yeah, but what is it? About 900,000 people tuned in, something uh, like that? On Comedy Central, they uh, also yeah. ran it across seven other <laughs> Paramount 
cable channels to add in another. Or as the media put it, uh, everyone in the world was watching. Uh, uh, yes, exactly. All 900,000 people in the world. <laughs> in, the, in, well, in the cable TV universe, that's not that far off anymore. Yes, that was 1.9 million linear on YouTube alone. It got uh, 6.3 million views. That's, of course, globally. Uh, so, you know. Welcome to 2024. But it was good. I don't know. Did you did you guys watch it? It's good. Good to have him back. I don't know. He's got the got the old magic. No, oh, he's he's enjoyable and uh, happy to see him back. Yeah, it's, it seems like. I mean, the Apple Show was something different, but it's like, oh, okay, this is kind of what you're not not born to do. But it is Richard has seemed to come back very easily for sure. So that'll be happening every Monday. So we'll see how the momentum continues there. But then, yes, Elaine, we had those. Big momentous headlines coming out of Sorry, Paramount. Sorry, I didn't mean to start off with a downer. But, now we uh, now we can go to Elaine for the bad news. All right, here we go. So Tuesday. 3%, about 3% of Paramount Global's staffers were laid off, which 3% of 24,000, 25,000 employees translates to about 800 or 800, so. And, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, this is something that we had expected to see, but now that it's happening, it's obviously not great for morale for the week, I'd say. It's definitely a downer on top of that, where you're and also CBS's prime time was back and it's you know, it's big momentum week for the company. And uh yeah, you as you alluded, these, you know, layoffs were at least two months, if not longer, you know, rumored and hinted at uh they were coming. Uh Backish even sent a memo out a few weeks back saying <laughs> layoffs are coming. I don't want to dive into that with you, Elena, in terms of where the cuts were in, in a moment, but I want to finish out the week here. So that was Tuesday. And then Wednesday, they set a record for uh, Valentine's Day box office with the new Bob Marley movie, One Love. So we're back up a lane. And then Wednesday night, we find that Warren Buffett sold one third of his stake in Paramount. He uh, owned 15%. He sold that at the end of 2023, likely at a pretty big loss. And then Richard, uh, you know, NCIS is back. I'm not sure if that's an upper or downer, Richard, but, uh, you know, nice to have the NCIS folks back on primetime, right? Yeah, the spirit of the 90s is is still strong. <laughs> I think that was, maybe it was late 90s, not the early 2000s, either, about 20 years either way, at this point. I was going to say, did NCIS start in the 90s? Was it early aughts, right? I think it was early 2000s. Because they're doing another one, a prequel to NCIS, Elena. That's the new show for next year. Oh, is that year. one going to be set in the 90s? Because they ran out of cities uh, to, uh, <laughs> to do I think all of your theories are Correct. Uh, so, oh, we have a note here. T- 2003. All right. Thank you. Thanks to our producer there for uh, the start of NCIS. So we have the official word. Yeah. So in the layoffs, Sierra Lane, you know, some strategy coming through a little bit, just some consolidation in TV in terms of the entertainment part of Paramount. Obviously, 800 people is going to be affecting a lot of divisions of the company. And we don't know, you know how much was global or, or domestic and so forth, but it seems like they own a lot of TV production and they're They've already done the the Showtime merge, you know, was was last year, and this is the next step in that kind of shrinking or consolidation of, of the TV business there. Yeah, and this is really more of, in some ways, more of the sad same that we've seen across the industry over the last few years, right? Suddenly there's this focus on profitability, and so cost-cutting seems like a, a necessary measure for a lot of these big conglomerates now. I mean, I think our question is always sort of like, where are the cuts going to come next? Like when Mm. I talk to people who work at the studios, it's never like, oh, phew, this is all done now and we can sort of move on with the next stage of the great pullback. It's just where is the next pocket of layoffs going to come from? And I wonder how much longer we'll be in this state of mind, because at what point like how much more can you trim at at some point, right? I, I remember when when uh, I worked at newspapers and they used to say, "Well, that's it. We've cut all we can cut." So this is the end of the period of of layoffs because we've cut everyone possible. And they always found out uh, that they were wrong there. Yeah, somehow those PE firms find a way. 
That's also very true. Yeah. And even, you know, over at Disney and Iger on the earnings call last week was saying we're going to be, we got to our 7,500 positions and we're going to hit our target by end of fiscal year, but also said we're still looking for efficiencies, you know, Elaine. So read into that as you will, but it's definitely not that language that, and we're done. That's not, <laughs> that's definitely not the the feeling there, but definitely some consolidation of departments within Paramount TV studios, which is, you know, they, again, they have, CBS Studios, they have Paramount Television Studios, and they have MTV Entertainment Studios. They have three television divisions over there, which just, that are fact of merging CBS and Paramount. You know, that's that's what you got. And they continually kind of just trim it down. And as you, you know, we've talked about here, how many TV orders out there anymore? What's the new volume? How much do you need, Elaine? Is a, you know, a question that's still kind of out there in the ether, I think, right? Yeah. I mean, when you look at, and we can talk a little bit about this later when we get into the mayor of TV, John Landgraf, and a conversation I had with him last week, but we're all still in the middle of the great pullback, right? And that's not, it's not just cost cutting. It's, we're talking about budgeting. We're talking about programming. Mm. We're talking about personnel. The pullback really extends to every part of the industry. And that's going to mean a lot of people not working in this industry who, many of whom had worked in the industry for many, many years. And it's like, where do they go now? Especially since most of the contraction seems to be happening at the studios. You know, we talked a little bit last week about where the jobs are, and it's largely in smaller boutique firms, in production companies, in departments within the studios that aren't related to creative. It's more in legal or marketing or distribution and and really, I think the part of the industry that we don't even talk about, which has a lot of growth, is the tech part of it. You talk, look at data, you look at analytics, mm, mm. you look at the fact that Hollywood is largely built on the backbone of all of this enormous tech now, and that's where the growth is. So, you know, Hollywood is, it's like, when you look at that, sometimes I wonder if we could take a snapshot of the entire workforce, what percentage of that is actually the creatives versus... Mm you know, like everything else now, especially with the, with the additional, you know, sort of tech necessities that come along with streaming and live streaming. I mean, I think the army, army in like World War II, the, the ratio was uh, seven to one. It was one fighting soldier for seven support staff. That feels about right for this too. Wow, that'd be a, that's true. Yeah, a snapshot would be interesting to look at for sure. And Lionsgate also on their earnings call last week confirmed they were asked for insights into the TV business. And one of the things they said was, you know, budgets are kind of not what they used to be or being asked, was it do more with less or whatever that, that phrase is, Elaine? Uh, that's do very popular. With with, <laughs> that's everybody everywhere, right? That's everybody everywhere. But even, the, you know, Lionsgate was saying, the, yeah, that's the, you know, the feedback or the, the 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 messaging we're getting from people who are buying shows is, you know, you may not, uh, you have to kind of deliver on a, on a different budget price point. So, but at this point, you know, back to wrap out Paramount here, Richard, the general chaos here is probably not going to abate until, you know, whatever fate. Shari sets for the company is set at this point, right, Richard? I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they they have announced very publicly that they're on the block there, and they announced this last week. A uh, one of their buyers had pulled out, and the other buyers don't seem to be coming through. So, at some point, a sale is going to turn into a fire sale there. Also, I mean, I imagine that they were so public about we're up for sale because they have creditors that are demanding to be paid off, so they're not going to quite settle for an answer of, ah, it's not, it's not the right moment for us. It doesn't feel right. No, that definitely doesn't seem like the end of the story here, uh, Richard, at all. So, so we'll wait to see if Byron Allen or David Ellison can put it together. And if they, if they can't, 
you know, at the beginning of this, I thought that it was all a, a ruse or they were throwing out the sort of less credible buyers to kind of goose Netflix or, or one of the bigger companies or Comcast into getting it into it. But it doesn't seem like they're coming around. And you look beyond this when it happens. I don't think anybody's focused on this enough, but a world where it's four studios releasing theatrically is, is really not ideal. Right. When it was, I mean, at least seven at some point, I think, Richard. Yeah. You used to have seven doing about 20, 25 movies a year, and now you have four doing 10 to 12. Like, that's a real fall. It's a business. It's just a different business in terms of the, the shots people are taking. Yeah. So, well, we'll see uh, what comes next there for sure. But going to pivot over to your column this week, Richard. So what did the Super Bowl trigger in your mind here? What was the impetus this week uh, going on in, in, in Rushfield land? Uh, I mean, you know, just happy thoughts, most of all. <laughs> usual, as just, usual, just, as per usual. But more to the point is that all we hear about is this is the time of disruption and balkanization and there's no big audiences and this thing just keeps growing and growing and it's kind of like it's become some sort of supernova that is just sucking everything else into its orbit like now you have taylor swift is sucked into right. its orbit and then the, you have the strength of the nfl but you also have you know all these music acts and hollywood and the ads and it just has become this national party that that sort of prevents anyone from replicating it because it's such a enormous event but it kind of represents the drift of our culture that everything has to become an event and on a smaller scale this is the formula we pronounce for movies that you have no built-in audience anymore at movie theaters so if you're going to get people you have to turn your movie into an event that gives people a specific reason for leaving their house for this specific movie on this specific day and I'm not arguing with that drift because I think that's where things are. But boy, when you see what a powerhouse the Super Bowl is, it sort of shows you how hard it is to like, like, like try, say, releasing a movie on the on the weekend of that. It just drowns out anything. So if every movie is dependent on becoming an event in some scale or even some demographic, that's a hard thing to depend on. And that, and you see, you see a a lot of movies every year that even good movies that can't clear that line. Right. At what point do you get event fatigue? No. I, exactly. It's, <laughs> I mean, you, you you can't have a mega event Every, every single weekend. Everything can't be an event. Yeah, exactly. Or even yeah, every single yeah. month. It's like, uh, so, you know, Barbenheimer was like, was when you're like, just do that again. Just, just have two films collide and turn it into a giant event that everybody has to go and take pictures of themselves at uh, and just do that. Do that every weekend. Why, why not? But you have this parallel, which you also talk about actually across both your columns this week, Richard, where, you know, what the NFL is to sports kind of sucking up all the oxygen. Netflix has kind of become to streaming and TV in a sense where, you know, you mentioned the show uh, Louder Milk, which was on what, DirecTV, I think. And was also it was on, on DirecTV and it was on Amazon. And it was Amazon. And it, again, came to Netflix and it was what, number eight in the Nielsen chart in uh, yeah. one of the early weeks in January, I think, right? And yeah. And who else in history ever of entertainment has said, yeah, bring us your flops, bring us things that, you, that you've already trotted out right. and have been proven as flops and uh, we'll go ahead and make them hits here. Right. And I think like Netflix has, when you ask what's, okay, what's the alternative to making an event of every damn show and movie you do well netflix is is the alternative or is an alternative if you don't have a built-in audience that are coming to the, the cinemas 
every weekend and saying, oh, what's playing today? What should we see? Well, you do have that on Netflix now. Right. And you have, what's the current number of subscribers, Sean? Uh, well, I mean, in the U.S. and Canada, we're at 80 million, you know, and that's just here and that's 260 global. But, you know, uh, but that U.S. number, Richard, is that's 80. That's bigger than the cable bundle. You know, at this yeah. point, so 80 million who are turning on Netflix probably every day as their TV. Yeah. And saying, what's on what tonight? Got? Yeah. Loudermilk. Haven't heard of that before. Sure. What's that about? So it's gotten to the place where the Netflix chart is like an internal. It's become a, a chart that matters. Like no other. You don't talk about like, what's the number one Comcast production today? Even Disney Plus, the number two, a little bit, maybe talk about it that way. But there's no other. They just have this built in audience that allows them to create this walled garden that can create hits like Loudermilk, I mean, which has of all things which, like, I mean, which failed to other places. <laughs> right. And doesn't even have a real big, you know, this isn't even Seuss, which had a successful run, you know, across. And it's like, okay, you know, it's had the dual success. This is not that at all. This is just a show that is, doesn't have a major star in it. It doesn't have a major hook. It's just this, you know, that's, that's a pretty impressive thing. So, And Netflix yeah. has done this before. You look at a show like You, which was on you. Lifetime, yeah. right. which became a big hit, and then a Netflix or, original because it became such a big hit. Or in film, all these things from their STX output deal that didn't find much of an audience in, in theaters and then seen by vastly more people on Netflix than ever, see, ever saw them in the theaters. It's almost like the 8.30 slot on Thursday in NBC. It's like, that's where the attention was. It didn't really, you know, it's like, all right, people are there. They're going to watch what it is because that's where they go to watch, Richard. And I think so Netflix has become that. It seems like we're no other service as much as, you know, Hulu's up to almost 50 million at this point. You know, they don't have that thing, Richard, it seems like. And 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 so the answer to everyone else at this time seems to be, well, we want to build one of the we we want <laughs> right. one of those. As is every other sports league saying we want to be the NFL. And it's like, well, yeah. you to can't, which you I know. say, good luck. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> right, yeah. Well, let me see your plan that starts with ten billion dollars a year of spending to compete with that. Yeah, want to come for the king, Richard? You gotta, you gotta be, you best not miss. It's. Uh, <laughs> Well, going back to the idea, too, of eventizing everything, I wonder how loud do we have to make every single project? People always talk about the marketing behind something, right? Whether it's a movie or a TV show of just like, oh, well, they didn't put enough of a marketing push behind this. But, you know, when you talk about really eventizing things, like how how loud and how large does everything have to be? And this is just, this is like a real niche analogy, but like Wednesday was Valentine's Day, right? And at my kid's school, you have this thing where you exchange cards, you exchange a little candy, but it's like every year it just gets bigger and bigger. It's not <laughs> enough to just do the little card. You got to do the little card and the candy. The next you got to do the little card and the candy. And then suddenly these other kids are like giving out toys. And then you hear about parents who feel compelled to give their kids like big Valentine's Day presents every year, which is not a thing we do. Cause I was like, oh, we're just doing the little like card exchange or whatever. I right? little pack of Skittles or something, but it's like right. every year it becomes bigger and bigger. And yeah. that sets these expectations. Right. And it's just like, I feel like we do the same thing as a consumer of anything these days. Like everything has to be louder and bigger and in your face in order to grab your attention. But it's like, if everything's at a 10, like right. how are we ever to discern anything from anything else? Well, that's the only number that the internet plays at. Like, everything has to be the best thing ever. Yeah, everything has to go viral, right? Or else it's nothing at all. But I'll, I'll yeah. counter you with, like, anyone but you, which did not have 
the big marketing budget at all. And like, you know, so there are these pockets, Elaine, where, you know, you're the any anyone but you of the Valentine's Day where you're coming in and saying, you know what, I'm going to come in here. But, you know, people are going to really love this. and are going to talk about it. Chill. It's going to be chill. It's not loud. It's not whatever, you know, we're just like and people embrace it. It's shifting tides, Elaine, to a degree, you know, somewhat where it comes too loud. Now the quiet thing maybe can, you know, can find some oxygen. And Richard, you've written about, you know, things like poor things or these, you know, in American fiction, which are not splashing out with $10 million weekends, but they're getting, you know, if you look at the numbers, they're getting there, Richard, and they're, the audiences are finding them on their own time. I mean, that that's also part of the alternative You could, that you become an event within a niche or that you become right. a, I mean, events a are, walled garden within you know, a niche. Comparatively like, speaking, but poor little things has become an event to this niche of like serious film going people. Right. Then it's, um, again, it's never had that big weekend where it dominated the conversation, but over time it's dominating the, the conversation in that sense. So it's uh different ways and it hits, but uh, definitely a, a lot of things to think about over there. And, and Richard's piece about the oxygen in the room per se, and how, uh, how it's shifting or not shifting in this case and, and what the results are. You can read that over at the anchor.com. Up next, Elaine's going to give us the world according to uh, John Langraf, the head of FX, whom she, she uh, sat down with this past week. And we'll get into the big weekend of the box office, or the, at least the biggest we're going to have in February. We'll be right back in a moment. This episode is supported by Universal Pictures' Oppenheimer, written and directed by Christopher Nolan. Winner of five Golden Globe Awards, including Best Picture, Oppenheimer is now nominated for 13 Academy Awards, including Best Director, Christopher Nolan, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Picture of the Year. The Washington Post calls it a masterpiece, and the Chicago Sun-Times says it's one of the best films of the century. Oppenheimer, now back in theaters nationwide. All right, so Elaine, you uh, braved the halls of TCA over the past week. For the youngsters out there, what is TCA? Just uh, for you know, for the for the uh, for the kids. TCA is the Television Critics Association, where you gather a bunch of reporters around from across the country and put them in a windowless ballroom in Pasadena for about two weeks. Uh, while twice a year, right? Streamers, yeah, twice a year. There's a winter one and a summer one, and this one's the winter one over at the uh, lovely Langham in Pasadena, where the streamers and networks come out and, you know, they show their slate of shows, and then they make cast and producers available and the idea is that it, you know, gives reporters these access to these uh, to the upcoming slate. Yeah, this one was a little, a little thin though uh, this year. Not everybody's attending anymore, yeah. right? Yeah, you know, since the pandemic, it's really been a little thin, and there aren't as many executives who are doing official sessions. I feel uh, like, and yeah. I mean, one can potentially chalk that up to the idea of it being a risk-averse environment right now and, you know, how many people really want to make noise, how many people want to be a headline, which is why I appreciate that FX boss John Langraf Always a mainstay of these to, uh, yeah. TCAs, right? Yeah. The mayor of TV himself mayor, was mayor out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> out there with a couple of stats with his bar graph showing yeah. us that, as he put it, Peak TV has peaked. We had the total number of scripted shows dip 14% from 2022 to 2023. So it went from 622 to 516 scripted series in 23, according to FX's research team, which is, you know, the largest decline. Because, you know, you look at this chart, it was going up. Yeah. With the exception of 2020, the COVID year, this is the second decline since they've started tracking it, I think, for the last like decade plus. And certainly the largest out of those two. So 14%, he says it's peaked. You know, we we're probably not going to be in an environment where we see 600 shows again. I would be shocked if that was the case. 
you know, I got a chance to talk to him one-on-one after that, yeah. uh, sort of pick his brain about what's happening. And, you know, he, he affirmed that, you know, pitching has been a, a little bit slow. He said that his team was surprised that there weren't more pitches, like right after the strikes ended mm. at late last year. And he says he doesn't really know whether that was the agencies holding things back and working on packaging or whether it just had to do with there not being a very strong appetite at that point and wanting to wait. But, you know, he says, yeah, we're in the middle of a big pullback. He says he agrees with the idea that we're in a very risk-averse environment right now. But also, if you are a place like FX, which, you know, the bear has Shogun, the very long gestating show that is finally coming out. Or, you know, if you're at an HBO that risk is kind of inherent to the business if you're one of these prestige guys. That's your brand, right? Like, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah you got to be taking the big swings because if you're not, then are you an FX and are you an HBO? But, right. you know, for everybody else, it, it sort of makes sense, he says, for them to aim for the middle. But, but you know, it was it was an interesting chat. The whole Q&A is over on, uh, on Series Business, which just published uh, this Monday. But, you know, I, I thought it was interesting to, he went into some details of just like how much viewing happens on FX Linear and like Hulu. And, you know, he said like the majority of FX viewing right now is happening on Hulu and not on FX Linear. And I was asking him what the inflection point was for that. And he had just happened to talk to Fargo showrunner Noah Hawley that morning. And he said that in season four, which came out in like 2020, I think, it was like about three quarters linear and then like about a quarter Hulu. But this year, the most recent season five of Fargo was 55% Hulu and 45% linear. So it's mm. like there's we've had a we've seen a, a, you know, a big shift over these last couple of years. Yeah. What interests me is do people who are watching it on Hulu have any awareness that they're watching an FX show? Or are they just watching The Bear? I think they think they're watching a Hulu show, if I had to guess. Yeah. And if so, what is FX? Just a producer for Hulu? I mean, they're a very, they're a very effective producer for Hulu. But Yeah, it's that kind of, I mean, kind of what, I mean, this is what HBO is becoming on Max, but HBO certainly has a much bigger brand and a home on Max, but... Um, but it's but, all within the corporate family now. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not HBO Max anymore. It's just Max. Uh, so you know, it's interesting to see how that. It's a good question, Richard, and I don't know, you know, what that. And ultimately, mm -hmm. if that really matters, other than people are coming back and they're no, <laughs> watching the quality of it. Um, but that kind of that you know that Hulu original versus an FX original, Elaine. You know that that those blurred lines. What you know what is how do you define those? Can be a real tricky thing to do uh, at a certain point. If I had to guess, I'd say there's probably been a lot of brand dilution with the average viewer. I mean, look, I'll put it this way: at the last TCA, I got into an extended conversation with somebody over on the Hulu side, an executive there, and I was going on about how much I loved Fleischman is in trouble right. uh, before at the very end, remembering that it was actually an, an FX, FX show. On Hulu. But like FX on Hulu, you know, but like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's, but that's so, yeah. I mean, HBO has the hub on Max and it's HBO and it's very, you know, very much out there where FX and Hulu can be, they've made it not easy for themselves uh, for sure. But it's a great conversation. Again, check that out uh, over at theankler.com. Richard, over at the box office this weekend, we uh, we already uh, we already have two movies. Uh, look at that! It's uh, apparently Wednesday is the new Friday here uh, as Valentine's Day week and President's Weekend uh, comes up. We of course have uh, Bob Marley, One Love, and then the other film out there was Madam Web, which is the new Spider-Man universe uh, movie. I guess we call it definitely a Marvel film. Open to about half of that. Lots of strong opinions about that one on the web. A lot of, lot of opinions out there. Richard, is, Mar is Marvel film a good Valentine's Day date movie? I don't know about this. We'd 
have you seen it? I mean, I, I have not yet seen Madam Web. I like Dakota Johnson quite a bit, so I, I was inclined to want to see this, but... Um, now, now you're not so much? Well, the specter of superhero fatigue gets more real with every one of these, and uh, this doesn't seem to be the one that has disproven the superhero fatigue theory. Well, along those lines, so, you know, I said, it, uh, I think it's about $6 million opening. The projections for the six day, which is what this weekend is, is uh, around, I think, $26 million, you know, for a Marvel film, Richard. And, you know, people thought when, when the Marvels the Marvels opened to $46 million back in November, everybody thought the sky was falling. And now this one, over six days, is looking at half of that much. I mean, how many how, how many of these do we have to have? Where the and all of them there there were exceptions, there were problems. This was a bad one. This what this went wrong. But right at some point, there's about five times as many exceptions as there are the rule. When does the exception become, become the, the rule? At what, yeah. at what point, given how how much sunk costs we have in the superhero genre right now, is it a good time to start panicking? Well, Richard, you mentioned this in your in your Thursday column, which I thought was you know great. Where you know the Fantastic Four, the cast was announced this week, as well as the release date of uh, I think it's July of twenty twenty five. But you know, if, if we had asked you two years ago, are you excited about the new Fantastic Four movie? You probably would have given a di- much different response than being asked uh, here in uh, early twenty twenty four, right? Yeah, I mean, Pedro Pascal is Mr. Fantastic. That's terrific. Is anyone crying today for a Fantastic Four reboot outside of the fanboy universe? Well, that's, you know, the the first thought two years ago might have been real excitement. The the thought now is like, wait, you mean that franchise that we didn't like the first two movies for? Like, you know, people start remembering more Richard at this point, I think. Yeah, and we've done a bunch of these assemblies of superhero movies since since Avengers that the Eternals, Mm. the Marvels, that are just not igniting so maybe the fantastic four will be so great that it'll be the one that ignites it's certainly talented people involved it's got a they year and a half to go away, but matt shackman directing there was this long time when it was unthinkable that a big marvel production could just fail and that is no longer unthinkable it's starting to become unthinkable that can marvel launch a brand new big uh tentpole under there yeah. So, Elaine, are you uh, in for Fantastic Four? You're a Marvel uh, world person here. I, I liked the animated series growing up, so okay. I have a little bit of an emotional connection to it. And I love Pedro Pascal and Vanessa Kirby. She was great in the Mission Impossible movies, which I'm a new fan of. So <laughs> <laughs> They got you there. Okay. Yeah, right, the so way have... franchises, they got me there. I'll go watch. I'll go watch. Heck, I'll go. I'll go watch Madam Web purely based on the uh, oh. the chatter about it. That well, I've, the, we're I've getting seen, a review of that is, next Friday. Yes. this podcast. So that's for <laughs> I, sure. I am intrigued. All right, fair enough. It is worth noting the Deadpool and Wolverine movie. The trailer broke some viewing record this week of online. Is that the new thing that broke the internet this week and breaking the internet? Yeah, Deadpool and, and Wolverine. So you know, but as Richard pointed out, you know that kind of exists in its own ether in the Marvel universe. I wouldn't take any. I hope it does well, and that's, you know, the big summer movie, but I wouldn't take that as a sign of like, ah, Marvel's back. I don't know that, you know, that would be the takeaway from that per se, but... But, you know, Richard, you mentioned Sunk Capital. Uh, Disney did announce, well, they shifted some dates for 2025, but they have, you know, four big films coming in 2025, Richard. They got Captain another Captain America. They got Thunderbolts. Is that, is that right, Elaine? It's not Thunderbirds, yes, yes. right? Okay, I keep putting that in my head if this is wrong. Thing. Okay, no, Thunderbirds was... <laughs> 
Richard Chamberlain. <laughs> Thunderbolts will kick off summer 2025 uh, next May. The, um, the Thunderbolts is going to be the one that reignites the, the better because it's kicking off next summer. So I mean, that's you know, that's that could that, happen. I, I, I don't know. Let's hope so. I mean, and, and this is in this summer there is no Marvel film to kick off May for the first time, and I can't remember Elaine uh, when the last time that happened. Well, maybe that's what we need, right? Like well, the space. Like, g- give me, give me the room to miss you. Right? Well, back like, to the <laughs> events thing, right, Elaine? Give me some. Yeah. It got too big, and now maybe we get. You know, this is the the big year of like. Let's just chill out. We'll come back. <laughs> well, you know, we got a little over twenty five. Suddenly, it's like, oh, a Marvel movie. Yeah, I'm yeah. Done. Oh, I haven't seen none of those. Were great, weren't they? <laughs> yeah. Why? So you have the number of distributors shrinking dramatically. You have problems in exhibition. You have a bunch of studios that have put a really irresponsible amount of their capital into this superhero genre. And you seem to be having a systemic failure to launch new super. Why Why aren't people just freaking the F out about this? Is what I'm, <laughs> they like, might be. I don't know. But. I, it, it seems like the response to these failures is still uh, way too measured and should be uh, much more like people jumping off buildings at this point. Uh, 2025 will be Not that recommending barometer. anyone do that, but, uh, uh, but uh, know, no, no, no. There, there's other other things in life. Law school is still there for you. But, exactly. Uh, but uh, uh, Bob Iger has put, you know, has said four films and another the Fantastic Four, and then Blade is set for uh, November or 2025. So th- that's set. That those things, those are all shooting. So he's he's pressing right ahead. And DC is returning in 2025 as well. It's not just the four Marvel films. So and who knows how, what. Sony Spider-Man activity, you know, has in 2025. So there could be, you know, again, back to not a glut, certainly, but you're going to have a lot more uh, offerings and whether they're shaking in their boots or not, Richard, I don't know, but the the money's going in. So we're about to, we're going to find out in a year. So TBD on that. Anyway, we'll see, we'll see how Madam Webb does this weekend. And I'll be, of course, breaking all that down in the wake up box office breakdown on Sunday night. There's no more football excuses, Elaine. NFL's over. So no, this is it. Movies are on ah, the road. What now. am I going to do with my Sunday nights now, Sean? <laughs> yeah, Sundays. That's when things the, happen, right? The, the same thing you did before, Elaine, I think, pretty much. So <laughs> don't worry about that. ESG has a new column out today, diving into the world of faith based films and TV series, uh, which is definitely worth a look to see what the data is telling us about uh, the scale of their popularity. We also have a guest column on the continuing ceiling for women in the top seats of the executive suite in Hollywood and what things can be done to instill some change there. And Elaine, what do you have? Serious business on Monday. What's going on? Taking a look at labor. Now with the IATSE negotiations about to start in early March, which is, uh, we originally had that set for last week until we decided to have a chat with John Langraff, but we will be taking (laughs) a look at the labor market. And Minori has a look at the equity space across the pond. So we'll be looking at labor across the globe here. All right, fantastic. You can catch that, of course, with your Ankler subscription for paid subscribers only, Elaine's series business column, which you can get as part of your subscription at theankler.com. You can, of course, email us anytime at podcasts at theankler.com and follow the Ankler across the socials at the Ankler. Richard and Elaine, pleasure as always. A big thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>